Alarm, sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on, weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Big thanks to the two Johnnies and Afric. It's Tuesday the 13th of February and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, we're live to Qatar for reaction as Mona McSherry comes fifth in the World 100 metre breaststroke final. In soccer, Stephen Kelly is in studio plus Mark Langdon joins us ahead of the Champions League round of 16 while Tony O'Donoghue catches up with Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley. Plus in Gaelic football, Tony Lean discusses Michal Burns' exit from the Kerry panel. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or we're on X at GameOn2FM or you can WhatsApp us on 087 Welcome along. Stephen Kelly is with me. How are you, Stephen? Very good, Marie. Yourself? Yeah, good to see you. Good to um, have you in chatting yeah. about the Champions League. We'll be getting to it a little bit later on. Uh, but just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Bohemians mm. and Daily Mount being redeveloped. They have finally gotten the green light. Um, they, this has been going on since 2015. And um, we know now that the stadium is going to be redeveloped as someone that isn't always around mm. Dublin um, and probably is experienced exposed to better facilities and football in nicer grounds how important is it for this to happen I think it's huge um, used to frequent Daily Mount when I was a kid um, often probably shouldn't say this on air we used to sneak in through the back way <laughs> <laughs> over the over, over the, the yeah, 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 yeah. so um, one of my dad's friends was uh, one of my friend's dad's was a uh, I used to work there so we used to get in but um, listen I think it's been screaming out for refurbishment for years now Um and what we'll do for the area, for the infrastructure around. Um, it's just, it's it's a part of the community. It, it's, it could be a great stadium. It could be wonderful to have different teams playing there, different competitions on. Um, and then you're inviting teams over for pre-season. And, you know, it's always got great tradition with football. So I think for, for it to get, you know, some sort of finances into that area um, it could really rejuvenate. And I think it's so important for football in this country moving forward with the league, the way it's been going the last year or two, the, you know, the increased numbers that have been going to games. I think it's hugely important that that gets done and, it, and it's great that's going to happen now. Yeah, it feels like th- that there's a lot that needs to be done and starting to work on the infrastructure mm. and something like this would be a big step in the right direction and the new stand in Tallah Stadium as well I saw it in the President's Cup they had they trialled it so they had some fans in I think this weekend there might be a few more in but um, just in general for football in this country when it comes to the League of Ireland we know that we need more fans and the product seems to be improving how far do you feel it's came in the last couple of years Stephen? From what I've seen, um, and from looking from from being away, every time you come back, there just seems to increase numbers to this over through the gates. Um, having the likes of Damien Duff involved in in the league just have have helped it grow, and I've, I've I've brought people's attention to it. I think from a different aspect from what's happened before, but. Um, and then you, obviously you look at Rovers who have just they're gone for their fifth title which is huge but you could see they've done it the right way the infrastructure the team the management staff and the investment into youth football we're talking off air about how it's changing the dynamic of football from when I played from the DDSL to um, you know, academy set up so it all has to be ingrained but it's, it's, it's important I think that it's the FAR involved in all this build up and the understanding of what needs to happen because from grassroots all the way through it's something that I think is we're looking to improve. We're looking to see an output in the national side and see us qualifying for major tournaments. And it starts there. And I think, you know, all these infrastructures in place and having somewhere like a stadium like that on the north side of the city that can be beacon for talent and show mm. pathway for football, I think it's really important. Yeah, I went to the Football Pathways presentation last night that mm. Mark Hannum gave out in Lucan. Uh, lots of people from clubs around uh, Dublin and further afield were there watching. And it seems that that, performance and um, player development as well as participation they're the three central pillars but they're really not shying away from the fact that they need to develop players and that it has to be done in a very um, organised manner and that if we're not qualifying for the, for major tournaments that from a financial point of view there's going to be trouble down the track that we need to develop our players so that we get to these major tournaments to try and alleviate the debt and you just hope that maybe the the Brexit and the different experiences that so many players have had when they've came over and went over to England and ended up coming back that we will be able to develop our players soon. Well that's what it is and I think 
obviously from when I played, you got to a certain age and then your development had to take place in the UK. You had to go across to, to really have a chance of kind of getting on. There's, there's probably a handful that came through the League of Ireland setup that then eventually made it on to play senior football. But now that's changing, I think, because of Brexit, because of players can't go from a younger age, um, it's the onus is going to be on those League of Ireland teams. And the way that it's kind of taken it away from the DZL slightly that you're into a academy setup with a direct pathway to the senior team football from a young age you look at the players that have, that have gone to a Bazunu who's been in the you know in that setup from a young age going across that standing you know playing week in week out for Ireland when he plays international level um, it's happening now and it's just a matter of making sure those grassroots are, are progressing in the right direction which is it's really really important and the onus is going to be on those teams especially if they're getting development they're getting finances put into them to show that they can then produce a product that's going to produce on the national stage for us, which is which is going to be huge. We just need a men's international manager now. Yeah, that's that's the one. And you know, the longer that saga goes on, the the more question marks go out and about who wants the job. I was talking last week about the games we've got. Like the the England game is it's a meltwatering game. Mm-hmm. It really is to have that as potentially one of your first games in charge, and it's an actually competitive match. And um, listen. We're, we're miles apart where we are as as a team like England are a team that should be pushing for winning World Cups we're a team that's looking to get to one or get to mm-hmm. a European Championship so when it comes to this is, but it doesn't mean that when it comes to a game like that you can't get the levels up to com- be competitive so you know for whoever manager comes in hopefully it's resolved sooner rather than later they come in and they see that as an opportunity to, to really get fans behind the team get a galvanised performance um, and try and get something from it Keep your finger on the pulse, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything? Um, no, <laughs> honestly, this this is this your words is, are saying no, yeah, but your face might yeah, be telling no, you, you know, something you different. You know what it is? It's obviously Lee Carsey is the one that I think everybody seems to want, yeah. but it just seems to have gone quiet a little bit, and that's kind of worrying to me that 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 not more has come out, and there's not more kind of hard hitting evidence that that's something that's been worked on. Um, and the the information that's come from the FAI, like they're releasing more statements about the women's team because they're trying to, I think, almost deflect slightly that we haven't sorted out the men's one as well. Um, but I, I, it's very hard to know what direction they're going in and what manager wants it. Neil Lennon supposedly tested well and his interview process went well, but what are they haven't pulled the trigger on that and that's ready to happen, which is making you think that they're inclined not to go down that direction because that you feel like that would have happened if that was their one out standout candidate that that would have happened by now and it hasn't so you feel like they're they're, they're trying to go in a different direction but that different direction obviously isn't, isn't working at the moment because no one's taking the job so it's important that they resolve it it's important that they resolve it they have a couple of friendlies coming up which would be really good to have someone for those because um, ideally you don't want to have an interim manager for those games you want to have mm-hmm. the new manager in place taking charge getting a feel of the team before we go into a Nations League group Okay, well, hopefully something will happen soon. But I think there's a talk of maybe a sponsor being announced and I'd imagine that will probably come before the announcement of the manager. But we will wait and see. We're going to turn our attention to swimming now. Mona McSharry has finished fifth in the 100 metre breaststroke final at the World Championships. Bronze was taken by Hong Kong swimmer Siobhan Hawhey, who is the grandniece of Charles Hawhey, to talk us through how it played out. Andrew Breed, two-time Olympian, in the breaststroke joins us on the line. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, I'm good. Hello from Doha. It's just uh, just after 9pm here, so it's still warm. I'm, uh, I'm missing that, that Irish weather here you are all getting. But look, it's uh, it's been an exciting night here. A lot of finals. I just happened to be passing through. I've been in Australia for three months, so it's Hello. been great to, uh, great to be able to see some of the Irish swimmers compete. And I know McSharry's fifth place mightn't have been the podium position that many of us have hoped for but look she's still mm-hmm. powerful statement on this world stage there was a, it was a fierce it was a fierce final she um she swam it well she had an explosive start um she was a little bit behind at the 50 but look it's far from over from McShire we're going to see her later on and of course the big uh, the big countdown is to Paris in in August yeah for sure so um first of all you timed that well didn't you coming back from Australia via Doha for the the world championships that worked out great for you getting that nice weather in as well so just talk us through um Mona McShary's race and what your expectation was heading into it and um how it went for her yeah it's just well I believe it's just another step and you know her evolution as a swimmer it's um 
she gains Mona's Mona's a great student of the sport. She gains insights every time she swims. Um, you know, we see that I've seen that throughout her career. She's at the University of Tennessee. It's where where I where I gained a lot of experience as well. Um, after after leaving Ireland, spent a few years there. You know, they've got a great setup, and she's she's thrived. Um, I did think she took it out a little bit slower. She was right beside Yang in the final, and um, she was in lane number four, and she just took off like an absolute bullet. And I've been in that position before in breaststroke, as you can imagine, as it's the stroke as you're, as you're breathing, as you're coming up and you're breathing out of the water. You can see what's happening in front of you. If, you know, if the head isn't down, you can see what's happening, and that might have put her off. But look, these are all learnings. These are all learning, and again, it's it's tactics it's being able to look at this race she'll go back and dissect that race inside out and again it's it's all down to this is all preparation a lot of swimmers here are swimming through it she would have rested a little bit but she wouldn't have gone she wouldn't have gone full taper for this so we can expect um we can expect a lot more coming into august so with that in mind then what potential do you think mona mcsherry has well her her best time would have probably silver medal there you know 105.55 so she was a good bit off that she went faster in the semi-final last night and again that's coming in with experience that all that all compounds in terms of the more it's all race rehearsal so basically the more she gets to to feel comfortable on this big stage and it's the same thing it's 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 doing the day in day out preparation so that when she stands up in the olympics she won't be phased in terms of any um any kind of outside pressure. Swimmers are very good at getting into the, the mental mindset and, and having that focus. So we're expecting, oh, I'm definitely expecting an Olympic final come August. You know, and that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be a surprise to anyone. She's, she's that caliber of swimmer. She's really, um, she's really come on and you can see uh, the work she's done, not only in the water, but on land, has really, um, really catapulted her. She's on the global stage. You know, she's still fifth in the world at this time of the season. Um, and she's got a lot. She's got a lot to go. If she doesn't, I, I would like her to swim on, you know, beyond Paris towards towards Los Angeles at least. How impressive is it for her to even be in a final, just given the caliber and maybe the 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 fact that Irish people traditionally we don't see them on that global level very often. Yeah, that's right. I think that's just a. I think that's just a mindset that we've had, and it's like swim Ireland and. We've, we've, we've progressed. We've progressed. These swimmers are being able to stand up on the world stage. We've got our, our women's relay just missed the qualifying time by I think it was point zero three the other night. We had Connor Ferguson tapping on the door, of, you know, making semi-finals. Dar Green was right there on the fifty. And these guys are going to suit up again now at the weekend and hopefully get closer to the relay time. And then, of course, we've got Daniel Whiffen, who's just thrown down. He broke the world record there in December, and he's uh, he's on fire. He's qualified, I believe, second for tomorrow night's final. He looks so comfortable. So, you know, we're getting we're getting into big finals, and and it's been a gradual progression, but it's been a lot of work. And it's not only work from the athletes; it's a lot of work from coaches. It's a lot of work from coaches at the grassroots level and the clubs. They're the swimmers, are they? The they're the the support. They're the energy that get the kids into the pool and. You know, swimming is just a brutal, it's a brutal journey, you know, and parents know that as well. It's, it's 5 a.m. starts, and you, you imagine that as you're, as you're experiencing all you're getting up at 5 a.m. on a cold <laughs> winter's morning and getting into the pool and swimming about five or 6,000 metres and then off to school. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a true test of, of resilience to get to this level. A lot of swimmers drop out. I was at a coaching conference recently and they were just explaining that we have loads of swimmers drop out at around the age of 14, 15. Um, so to, you know, to stick, to stick into it, to progress on to the late teens and then into their twenties. And I believe swimming's now shifted that a lot of these swimmers are getting the opportunity to, you know, finish university and then even join pro teams and extend their career well into their late twenties. So, Tell us about Tennessee and what that environment is like for Mona McSherry. Well, I believe it's the same in any high-performance environment. You're really pushed. Again, this is this is what swimming is. You want to turn up every day in that in that mindset, and whether it be practice or as in every everything they do, whether it be land training, their mental attitude, especially in the water, you have to be surrounded by like-minded people, and that's the thing with the NCAA system in America. It really helped me. 
I was swimming good. I went to Australia for a year, <clears throat> way back in 1999, before the Sydney Olympics. I was surrounded by great swimmers in Australia. But then I went to Tennessee. <clears throat> Excuse me, a wee bit of a cough. I don't know why it's too sunny here. <laughs> but I went. Um, so I went through that. But you're it, it, it's building that. It's building that mindset every single day. And the good thing is about the, the collegiate system, and it's it's starting to come along a lot more. Swimmers and I stepping up and racing a lot more. So within the collegiate system, you're racing different universities continuously on a, on a monthly basis, uh, on a quarterly basis throughout the year. And they say, you know, even the NCAA championships uh, are very, it's a very, very fast competition. They happen, it happens every, happens every March. And it's some of the swimmers there, world record holders, you know, world champions, it's, it's fierce. But that's that's starting to that's starting to capture in terms of international swimming. A lot of swimmers now are stepping up and being able to race a lot more. Gone are the days where you used to kind of race three times a year. You know, you kind of just focus on three competitions or two competitions and be ready. These swimmers are now realizing that they have to be ready all the time. You know, so training things. That's why I learned a lot of stuff out in Australia. I was I was able to just link up with a few old coaches that I worked with out there and they're they're really capturing that essence of get you better be you better be ready to race anytime, you know, you better be able to step up and practice and give it your best, if not very close to your um to your personal best times in terms of pacing, you know, through the twenty five meters, through the fifty meters, through the seventy five. So then when you step up on race day, it's automatic. You almost go into, and, and everyone knows this about sport, it's called flow state. You almost step up and you dive in and next minute you're hitting the wall and it, it's almost like the subconscious takes over. So I think that's what a lot of athletes, a lot of swimmers are really trying to tap into. It's just the environment. It's who you surround yourself with. And then, of course, it's the network. And, and we've been building that in Ireland as well, you know, with the three performance performance centers and we're building teams within that but that takes a long time as well that isn't like we're going to have a performance center and suddenly we're going to have all these medalists um they have come along a lot a lot more than than when i was swimming you know we've got the 50 meter pools a lot more you know we've got one like one in dublin up in northern ireland as well just outside belfast but it's building those teams and then it's getting the athletes it's getting the swimmers ready um, at that younger age, passing 15, 16, 17, and having all the elements in place. You know, it's, this is what we're learning. It's not only about getting in and swimming fast. It's about the, the mindset is one thing that, that I think McSharry is really, really strong in. She steps up. She's not a fear. There's, there's, there's no fear there. You can see when she walks onto the pool deck, there's no fear. She's ready to race. And that's inspirational for those young kids. You know, it's, it's, it can be done. It can be done. There's no reason it can't. Would you say the same about uh, Daniel Whiffen? Uh, he is, as you said, in that 800 metre freestyle final tomorrow, but we've had him on this programme a couple of times and he just seems to be taking everything in his stride. Yeah, Whiffen. <laughs> loves it and he's got his YouTube channel. You know, he's got the twin brother as well. And look out for the twin brother. Look out for Nathan. Yeah. Like he, he trains with him, but he's come on leaps and bounds in the last in the last six months as well. And that's because he's, uh, when, when, when those two guys first went over to Loughborough University, they were in separate squads. And now Nathan has moved up. And I'm telling you, there's no one else. Daniel doesn't care about the rest of the guys in the world. Let me tell you, if his brother starts beating him, we're going <laughs> to see some serious, serious swimming. So it's great that those guys, are obviously obviously there's brotherly love, but there's, there's rivalry there. And Daniel, Daniel's got no problem telling the world that he's coming after them, you know. And they, that's, you know, that's it. That's Muhammad Ali told the world he was the greatest before he was the greatest. So it, it is a belief system. Yeah, I love that actually. So how do you think he's going to do in his final? <clears throat> I think he'll do really good. He was, yeah, he was just like what I love about his stroke. He's got a, he's got a great technique, great technique, and he hardly uses his legs. It's just got the, if you see this underwater footage from tomorrow. You'll see the 800 tomorrow, and then he's got the 1500. Those are his two stronger events. Um, he was slightly disappointed in his 400, um, but I spoke to his mum this morning. She's here, and she just said, "Look, he slept on it. He woke up, and he was like, what am I even worried about? This isn't my thing.' Yeah, you know, I think he wants to be. He wants to be so strong in all these events. Um, so he's he he'll be he'll be tuned in for tomorrow. And 800 is where he just broke the world record. Short course meters. Now long course is a different game. That is, it's it's a beast. You know, it's it's You've seen that pull out at the NAC. You get in one end and you wonder where the other 
where the other end is, you know, and it's... Um, but he's good, he's good. I watched him, he looked really cruisy. He looked really cruisy with his legs. If he can bring in those legs a little bit sooner, he can bring them in at about 200 metres to go. I think we, we should we should see a medal. I don't want to yeah. say anything um, in case I jinx it, but I think we should see a medal. OK, well, hopefully anyway. And uh, well done to Mona as well. Siobhan, Hohi, do you know much about her? Um, she finished I her... I don't know, yeah. I did it. Yeah, her name popped up when we were doing the when we were doing the um, the RT stuff at the last Olympics, you know. And she uh, she had a great race. So she had a good. She's she's an all rounder. She's a superstar in Hong Kong, you know. And it's um, I remember the name. She really bounced onto the last the last games, and um, I think it was myself and Peter Collins. We did a bit of we did a bit of background research, and we were like, "What's going on here?" You know. So yeah. we were wondering, <laughs> is there a long lost passport? That's what we want. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know, I know, I know. But no, it's good. Look, look, the world, the world of swimming. It's one one minute you think it's stagnant in terms of times, and then the Chinese guy Pan the other night just went the world record off the lead in the relay, forty six point eight in the hundred meter freestyle. Like, so it's just fascinating. I, I just love now and being involved in the coaching world, and of course I do. Um, that's another reason I've, I've stopped here in Doha. I'm flying to Dubai tomorrow to do um, some event commentary for the Dubai Open. So I've just I've just found myself in the Middle East for a couple of weeks. I can't actually believe it myself. Um, <laughs> so are and you then back coaching at home? Then, are you you? In I'm coaching. Australia? Yeah, I was. I, I I just I just I did it. Yeah, I was with the I was with Swimland in the National Centre there for about a year, just over a year, and and then I just wanted to change it up. Like I said, I wanted to I wanted to get out there and learn from a few few guys that I worked with years ago in Australia and luckily my brother David lives out there um, in Brisbane and he's got his he's got a swim school so I went down and visited, visited David and stayed with him and then I actually you know the biggest eye opener never mind the swim coaching was what it's like to be a parent <laughs> so he's got two young boys and I was just like I was like this is way harder than swim coaching you know but it's no it's great to spend time with him and like I said I just I just embedded myself um some of the best coaches in the world and just learned and just took notes and, and just and just learned. You know, I, I just believe that's that's a big part of a big part of coaching is never feel like you know the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always there's always new things to learn. So it's fascinating to get there and like I said, I do a bit of the media side of stuff, you know, I do the live event commentary for all the all the Irish championships and and um, yeah, it's now just gone a little bit further with being invited to do the Dubai Open, so I'm looking, to, looking forward to doing that for three days, and then back to back to the sunny island. Right, well, it sounds like you're living your best while, life, yeah. <laughs> Andrew. It's pretty good, it's pretty good, pretty good. Well, yeah. I'm very blessed, very, Stephen, very grateful. Stephen Kelly is here in studio with me, and he came in, and it was lashing outside. Oh, yeah. He was, he was, uh, he was soaking coming in. So there you go. It's a, a different, different, different world for you at the moment. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much. At Enjoy, the yeah, at the moment. Enjoy the you're very welcome. the rest of the championships, and we'll be talking to you again soon, no doubt. We are going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us. We'll be talking Champions League very soon. <laughs> On 2FM. Welcome back. We are turning our attention to football. Stephen Kelly is still with me and Mark Langdon joins us on the line. Mark Langdon from the Racing Post. How are you, Mark? We're uh, really excited about the uh, Champions League. It gets serious now, doesn't it, last six days? It does, but like the ties just aren't that exciting, I think. You can correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm let down oh. by... Copenhagen, Man City, RB Leipzig, Real Madrid. Look, maybe it'll they'll deliver, but I'm I'm not that excited. I was kind of hoping for like a Man City, Real Madrid. You know, something a bit more. Yeah, I think um, it could be argued that there is a, a lack of depth to this season's yeah. Champions League. I, I think um, obviously a couple of Premier League teams have have already gone out, and you you could look around Europe and say are sort of some of the best teams even in it. You know, Liverpool are top of the Premier League, uh, Bayer Leverkusen in the top of the Bundesliga, you've got Girona that's second um, in La Liga, um, Athletic Bilbao going quite well um, as, as well. Um, so I think that there are some surprise teams there um, for sure, you know, and Leipzig are not playing particularly well um, in, in Germany. Lazio, you could say the same. They've got Bayern Munich. Um, you know they're they're not playing well. Paris Saint Germain have got Real Sociedad tomorrow, and Sociedad um, failed to score 
things in the last three or four matches now. Um, so they've kind of gone off the boil. So there definitely, I would say, is, is a lack of depth um, that, that maybe you wouldn't necessarily associate with the Champions League at this stage. Somebody like Borussia Dortmund not playing anywhere near the standards mm. uh, uh, you know, that they were last season. So um, those kind of real big names, Real Madrid, Manchester City, I mean, they're, they're warming to the task quite nicely, you know, just starting to find their best form. So we might have to wait around before it, it gets okay. really spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to go to games, so I was looking yeah. at them going, person really, maybe Inter Milan, Atletico, possibly Napoli, Barcelona, but I wasn't really taken in by too many of them, Stephen. No, there's not mouth-watering clashes <laughs> but it's I suppose it's those teams like the likes of Copenhagen have done so well I'm sure they're looking to avoid yeah. the likes of City they would, would not want to see them in this in this stage um, especially after previous the, the recent history against them but it is it's it's one of those things and it's just the groups isn't it because it's groups and it's top city team and second finishes they you, you, you kind of find itself out it's often every now and again you get a massive team that's finished second f- mm. f- ends up against a top team but the way it's worked out, it, there's no really clashes that are going to throw the, the top teams against. And you're still looking at it thinking it's cities to lose with Real Madrid and then Bayern have an outside chance, I think, if you're looking at who's going to get to the final stages, but it's whether or not they meet between now and then. Do you think the magic has gone a little bit, Mark? I, I think the um, the kind of the format which is changing for the, the start of next season, they're going to the um, Swiss model where you play more matches, but you're all in one league table. It's definitely worth trying um, because it's kind of, you know, it feels like the same teams have been playing against each other um, in the Champions League group stages for a while now. Um, I, think, I think just in terms of this season, we're just unlucky, really. I mean, Paris Saint-Germain, you know, finished second in their group could have, you know, it could have been them against Real Madrid, mm-hmm. could have been them against Manchester City. It just turned out um, that it, it wasn't, and occasionally that that can happen. And you know, Napoli versus Barcelona should be, um, you know, from last season's form would have been an absolutely brilliant game. You've had the champions of Italy against the, the champions of Spain. I mean, that would be. Um, you know, a, a clash may be worthy even of like a semi-final, but it just so happens that Barcelona are not in very good form, and Napoli um, have kind of lost the plot um, a, a bit this season. <laughs> I, I don't think that's really that. That's not really UEFA's fault. That's not the Champions League's fault. That's just one of those sort of quirks um, of, of football, and uh, you, know, it, you know, things can change quite quickly um, for, for, for those teams. So I'm 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 not disappointed to see the end of, of this format. I'm not saying that the the new Swiss um, format and, and and sort of you know more games is is necessarily going to work but I, I'm certainly prepared to give it um, you know a, a chance and um, it's something different and, and maybe the Champions League does need that after um, so long in the same way of, of, of playing yeah we'll see I did enjoy the way it was though so we'll see what happens so um, Copenhagen Man City tonight Stephen just given the fact that Man City are doing what they do at this time of the season they start to motor quite well and their injured players like De Bruyne and Haaland are back how difficult a night will it be for Copenhagen do you think? As difficult as they're going to have all season um, this is when City they, they just they just turn it on and you, those players you list John Stones you throw mm. into that as well like arguably their best players last season were Haaland, Stones De Bruyne De Bruyne and Stones have been gone for most of the season and they're just coming back now in a stage where Marie doesn't want to hear this and <laughs> <laughs> she's sighing because it's it's just gone on no it's ominous yeah, yeah it, but it's it is it, this is what they're, they're you, we talked about all the other teams in Champions League and how like Napoli peaked and Barcelona whereas City are consistent mm-hmm. they're consistently good they're consistently excellent they consistently know how to get to this stage and it'll be the biggest shock I if if they weren't to come through this tie comfortably. Um but listen, bigger sometimes stuff has happened, but I think City are gonna be comfortable and they're the team we're looking at, especially with the form they're starting to hit and with the players that are coming back. I guess just from Copenhagen's point of view, Mark, they've performed so well to even get to the knockouts. Um when you looked at the group at the start, they weren't the team that you were expecting to finish ahead of the likes of Manu and Galatasaray. No, absolutely not. And, you know, it wasn't a, a sort of fluke or a, anything lucky about the way they finished second. They, play, they played really well um, in, in a lot of those matches. I know United went down to 10 men when they played 
um, in in Denmark, and maybe um, it worked. I mean, that, that that definitely played a part in in that result. Um, but even at Old Trafford and you know United are obviously not in great shape or certainly weren't at that time but they played some really good football they went to uh, a way to Bayern Munich and only lost that game um, late on so you know I, I think they deserve to be um, in, in the last 16 given that they were better than Manchester United and Galatasaray in the group stages it just so happens that they've come up against um, as Stephen was saying there you know just um, a, a team that looks in unstoppable form at the moment and over two legs um, you know it, it means that they can even afford to play poorly or you know make mistakes like they are capable of doing defensively and they've still got the home leg um, to come mm-hmm. so I would be very surprised if Manchester City um, didn't uh, comfortably make it through but um, you know I, I think Copenhagen without been too patronising could be sort of proud of the way that they've actually played in in this season's Champions League sometimes see underdogs kind of you know sitting back and nicking a set piece goal and and, and doing it that way but they've, they've played football they've been enterprising I'm just not sure you can do that against Manchester City when they've just got you know, players that are just so much better than them all over the pitch Am I right in saying Copenhagen have been on a winter break? Yeah yeah that they, they have um uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you do have um, in in the Scandinavian countries um, sort of time off. It's not quite as dramatic as um, you know. You've seen like teams in um, Ukraine and when Russians teams were allowed in, where they were like way off the pace. So I, I think that um, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that's going to be a reason necessarily why they're going to lose the game. Um, it's just that there's a big difference between um, the, the, the the levels of the two teams. So also tonight we have Orbi Leipzig and Real Madrid. The expectation here, Stephen, is that it could be a good encounter that Orbi Leipzig, they tend to have a naturally attacking style of play and they might not be too bothered about Real Madrid's quality going forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why they uh, yeah. would not be, I'm not yeah, sure. I'm not sure well, that's coming through. Jude coach. Bellingham is out injured. So yeah, that's, a, yeah that's, that's a plus. But um, no, Real Madrid, they, again, another team that have started to hit form as well. Um, sensational attacking players abundance of depth even with the senior players in the squad the likes of Modric and Cruz that are still performing um, and it's Real Madrid in the Champions League and that, that's just always a worry for whoever you're playing against so Leipzig are going to have to be at the best to try and get something from the match but they're they're a well drilled outfit that, that have got to this stage on a number of occasions and know how to get results so yeah Real Madrid won't be taking this lightly but it, it's you again like the City one I don't think it's as overly you know that City are going to win it I don't think Real Madrid are wouldn't be as confident about them going through as much as it would be City but I still feel Real Madrid are going to be the team that will see through this game um, just based on the quality they have and at the moment how they're doing Mark just given Orby Leipzig's home record um, winning six drawing three this is in Europe and losing just two of their last 11 at home they do have a lot going for them um, but again it's Real Madrid Yeah I, I think that most of those games um, Leipzig have been in better shape than what they are now they, they're really not playing well in the Bundesliga um, at the moment um, the, the, the team's just been off doesn't press quite the way um, that you would expect a Leipzig side um, to do don't look as dangerous um, up front as they have done in the past um, and even you know they've always been a bit vulnerable defensively um, um, they haven't really been able to kind of put their um, I, I, you know, the, the, the way that they play um, sort of is, is usually quite intimidating and imposing because they will go after teams but um, they just haven't been able to do that in the Bundesliga Real Madrid coming off a huge result for them in La Liga beat Girona um, at the weekend Ancelotti said afterwards that uh, Vinicius was the, the best player in the world following his kind of um, sort of it was a very good performance from him I mean he would say that Vinicius is the best player in the world when he's asked that he's going to defend his player Um, but I think that you know Vinicius has uh, reached that level um, of being spoken about as sort of you know up there with, with the best players in the world I just wonder if he does it on as consistent a basis, um, you know, to to kind of go on and win a Ballon d'Or, and it's these type of nights, these type of tournaments in the Champions League, where he gets to show that he, you know, he he does belong um, in that bracket and, and, and caliber of player. Tomorrow night, then we have uh, Lazio and Bayern Munich and PSG and Real Sociedad. Um, Harry Kane, 
Yep. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it's in, it's um, it's funny that like you're always interested in the Bundesliga and you're always interested in Bayern and mm. Dortmund because they, they, they spark your attention. But since Kane has gone there, I'm very much <laughs> interested yeah. in it. Um, just being a fan of him, Tottenham fan, you, you want to see what's happening. And listen, he's got goals. He he wants this is this is what he wants to play, and this is why I think he went to Bayern. He went there. Listen, you go to to Bayern Munich, and you're almost guaranteed a Bundesliga at the moment. They're not guaranteed it because of the way they're going in the league, and the, the heavy defeat they had the weekend, which was really poor from them. But the Champions League is where he sees himself and where he wants to be playing at the highest level. And he pits himself with the best players, and that's he has to be performing the Champions League to be considered on the same bracket as those. So huge, huge game for him and huge game for Bayern to try and possess. But I, I, again, I just I say them there for me. Bayern a third in the rankings when it comes to who I think would take this home at the end of the, at the end of it all. I still see it's City. I think it's Real Madrid, and and they come both of them come ahead of Bayern. Yeah, and Bayern, it's not up top that they're struggling. It's the defence, mm. Mark, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it, um, it, it really is. Um, they've tried back fours. They've tried um, three at the back. Um, you know, Thomas Tuchel was very vocal before the season started um, that he wanted uh, what he was referring to as a, num- a proper number six. He wanted a defensive midfielder. Um, he doesn't think that uh, Joshua Kimmich um, is that player. Um, I think Kimmich disagrees and thinks that he can, but maybe um, that the stats would suggest otherwise, given how many goals you know they they do concede. Um, I think that they are they're vulnerable when they play against the very best teams because they are too open. They've got some injuries as well. Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Coman um, have, have been injured, which you know takes away some of their forward threat as well. You know Harry Kane barely had a kick really in that game um, against Bayer Leverkusen at the weekend um, this is probably an easier game against Lazio but um, yeah, I, I think Bayern need to show more than what they have done so far this season to suggest they can win the league they sign Kane but their problems are at the other end of the pitch What about PSG and Real Sociedad Stephen? You, you still, again you still fancy PSG um, tough game I don't, PSG like I'm f- not when they when the players left that start in the last season that we've all associated with like some Messi and stuff, but when you have Kylian Mbappe, like uh, he's just he's a game changer. He's for me, I still think he's probably the best player in the world. Um, I, I think he's the one that can turn on the most. And you know, I know there's a lot of links, a lot of talks about where he's going to go in the summer. But having him there in that team means you've got every chance of winning any game you're playing in with him on that side. So yeah, PSG, I'd, I'd fancy them. So see that have been decent this year. Um, but not not to the levels that they were before either. So I, I need a team are flying really high. I don't think in the, in in the way they're playing, but get PSG getting better results. Okay, Stephen and Mark, thank you as always, and enjoy the game tonight. It is kicking off between Copenhagen and Man City at eight o'clock, and it is on Orti Television. Uh, so do tune in. We're going to take a very quick break, but stay with us. We will be talking about Michal Burns departing from the Kerry football team. Game on on Two FM. Now, welcome back. As I mentioned before the break, All-Ireland winning Kerry player Michal Burns opted to withdraw from the Kerry panel. Jack O'Connor confirmed the news to the Irish Examiner and their sports editor, or their, yeah, sports editor, joins me now on the line. How are you, Tony? Hey, Marie, how are you? I better clarify that. I think you're, you view a higher position than the sports editor. No, nor do I want one. <laughs> Grand. Just wanted to make sure. Um, big news, I suppose, no. down in Kerry with this. It's not well, often. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it's not like I guess if you were talking, Marie, about somebody you know who might be down at number twenty nine or thirty or thirty two, it probably wouldn't have kind of maybe raised as many eyebrows. And the fact that I mean, it's not like as if Michal Burns hasn't even been involved this year. Like I mean, he started against Derry in the first game, um, wasn't involved. Like, you'd have to think probably that, you know, it's in the works in his own head with a while. Um, he, you know, even though, again, he was involved in the All-Ireland final last July, but the sense we got from Jack is that he, Michal Burns, probably thinks for the amount of effort he's putting in, you know, he's just not getting the minutes that he feels he deserves. And the conversation with Jack then extended out really into a general, you know, how you keep numbers kind of 16 to 33 
happy and I think in fairness that's that's a that's a problem as you know Marie that goes well beyond the confines of Gaelic games I mean you know I mean the uh, Ronan O'Gara has often said even writing in our own paper you know that the happiness of a squad is determined by numbers 16 to 30 not numbers 1 to 15 and I think probably Jack O'Connor and Michal Burns have kind of you know experienced uh, the downside of that equation you know in recent weeks yeah, I'd say they'll all be on to Andy Farrell now. What's the what's the secret to, to keeping the whole squad happy? Um, mm. So he's 27, a minor in 2014, and uh, was it under very, Jack. Under Jack, was he All Ireland? Was he man of the match in All Ireland final? Maybe around then. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was. I think that was the first visit of Kerry's four in a row minors, and uh, he was the man of the match. Um, like the six or seven lads have come through to the Kerry team like from that Reno Big League Shane Ryan Thomas Sullivan and these guys Miel Burns was um, was was very much like you know front and centre in that so like he has always been like there or thereabouts with Kerry I think probably what has been a factor is there is the likes of Killian Burke um, from Milton Castle Maine has emerged you know, and looks to be somebody who has the capacity to pin down a starting spot in that Kerry team. That role is probably, as you know, Marie, the most important role in Gaelic football, that kind of 10 or 12 where you're up and down the field, you're working without the ball, you're supporting mm-hmm. when your team are in possession. And I mean, it's a really, really attritional role. And I guess Hall has probably looked at that He's seen what's been happening in the first couple of games. Killian Burke came in and he started against Monaghan the last day and he got a goal. And, you know, I just think probably he's looked at it and said, as I say, you know you know what? The commitment, as you know, is huge in this thing. It's like four or five nights a week, like and even the other two days, you're never really off because, you know, you're watching yourself diet-wise, you're doing everything. Like, it's full-time. It is full-time, but... I think the bigger issue here genuinely is not just necessarily about Michal Burns. I think that's an issue for every county, every sport, every team. And I'd imagine Jack O'Connor's quotes around that issue like will resonate with an awful lot of managers. It is one of it is one of the big issues. I mean Jack described it as, you know, if there was a silver bullet solution to that, like I mean you'd become a rich man if you actually had the solution to it for a manager, whether it be male or female coach, whether it be male or female team. You know, you are dealing with people who, as Jack said, are all making the same amount of effort. They're all making the same amount of commitment. The problem is that once it comes to Sunday at two o'clock or half three, you know, some are getting 70 minutes, some are getting 30 minutes, and some are going home on the team bus afterwards and they haven't seen any minute. And, you know, obviously they're doing a lot of thinking and I presume that's what Michal Burns was doing as well. Yeah, and sure, look, we're even seeing players who are playing taking time out because of the commitment and even just the mental exhaustion of having to be tuned in all the time. So I can just imagine if you're not getting the reward of playing the game or having to fight, like having to fight every week, I'd say would be tough as well, Tony. I think that's a great point, actually, um, in terms of people and players, and we've all been there, and whether it's been as players or management, if you are preparing yourself properly then even if you are sitting in the dugout during a game you should still be almost mentally fatigued at the end of a game because you're keeping yourself literally on your you know on your psychological toes so to speak to actually be ready to go in to monitor the game and I'd imagine it must be quite a come down and a letdown and a disappointment when a final whistle goes and you haven't actually been involved and then you've got to get yourself up for training again on the Tuesday night. And O'Connor, in fairness to him, was straight out about it. He was saying, unless you're able to do something on a Tuesday and a Thursday, which preps the frontline players for the weekend, which basically almost replicates the type of intensity that they're going to experience come the weekend, then if you can't do that anymore, then I'm sorry, but we're going to have to find a player that will do that. And that's just the ruthlessness of, of not just inter-county football, but elite sport. You know, there is only 15 players in, in, in Gaelic games and rugby terms on a pitch at any given time. And I guess the trick is that players beneath those numbers, you know, use sessions during the week to actually almost demand minutes from mentors and actually say, you know what, 
I'm just doing so much here like that you just can't ignore me. Yeah. And I guess like in that scenario, like some people, you know, as you said yourself, he's playing with Kerry, whether it be mine or senior for over a decade. You just get to a point, I guess, where you say, is it worth it? I mean, the first inkling I even got of it was actually funny enough on Sunday. I was actually down at home uh, in Sunday and somebody just messaged me. It's amazing the way, as you know, in any county, <laughs> word travels quickly. Michal Burns showed up for Dr. Croke's yeah. training on Sunday and, and everybody was saying, oh, that's, yeah. not, that's not right. That's not right if he's going to be mm-hmm. involved with Kerry. And obviously he'd, he'd actually, he had made that decision. And I'd imagine he will go back and he will absolutely enjoy playing yeah. with Dr. Croaks again. They have Pat O'Shea back at the helm. And, you know, there's nobody can rightly say right now Hall Burns has retired from Kerry. He may, he may have a back. mindset change in a year's time, but certainly yeah. for the time being, Marie, he's not going to be involved yeah. with Kerry. Okay, Tony Lean, uh, sports editor of the Irish Examiner. Thank you so much for that. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. We'll be previewing the League of Ireland season over the next few days. But earlier today, Tony O'Donoghue caught up with Shamrock Rovers head coach Stephen Bradley before they played Dundalk on Friday in Tallaght Stadium. Let's join the ta- chat with Bradley on the prospect of Rovers winning five titles in a row. Yeah, it's amazing to have ourselves in this position to try and get the next one, which is obviously five, um, and that's going to be the target. We know it's going to be difficult. We know we're there to be shot at. We know everyone wants to take us down, and, and that's what comes with being successful. So, um, well. Looking forward to that challenge as well. But look, we'll we'll, uh, we'll take each week as it comes, and, and we understand and know what the prize could be at the end of it. Shamrock Rovers though is a place where players are, it seems, happy to come back to. I mean, Trevor Clark was very good, obviously, at the at the weekend as well. But Aaron McInniff coming back, how big a boost is that for the club? I think it's really important that we do our business right when the players are leaving, that we we understand where we are in the, in the food chain regarding uh, selling players, and and it's really important when that happens that you don't stand in the players' way. You, you want to get the best value possible for your club, and that's only right. What's really important that you respect the players' wishes to, to leave at that point in time. And, and if you do your business right and help them, they usually want to be part of it again at some point. And thankfully, we've got players back at really good stages in their career and, and players that are really, really important for us. It's brilliant to have uh, Aaron back. We know the impact he had before he left. And, and uh, we're just really looking forward to getting him on the pitch and, and seeing that quality again. And Marcus Broom as well, of course. Yeah, Marcus is a, is a top one. I think we've seen after the first four or five months last year when he, when he settled into how we play and our culture. And it was a big change for Marcus but uh, I think we're seeing uh, what he brings to the group he, he's an experienced international player and he gives us a real balance a real calmness when he plays he's got real quality and that can really hurt opposition from all over the pitch and you only have to explain uh, a tactical change to Marcus once or twice and, and, and he understands and gets him and when you have that in the middle of the pitch it's really helpful to, to uh, marshal the team. He's not the only international in the squad, of course. Uh, Pico Lopez performed particularly well in the African Cup of Nations in the last few weeks. Yeah, I've said already, we, we should be incredibly proud of Pico, not just this club, but the league. I think he represented us on and off the pitch like Pico does, you know, incredible person and player. It's crazy to think he came in here as someone who had worked in a bank and was part-time, and, and now he's the most capped player to play in the league. And, and uh, that's all credit to Pico. He, he's a um, tremendous professional. From day one, he wanted to improve. He wanted to pick your brains how he could get better. He leaves uh, no stone unturned and um, needs desire to get better. And, and like I said, to achieve what he's achieved so far is incredible, but there's, there's much more to come from him. You won the league four years in a row. You coach international standard players. Are you disappointed that you weren't in the conversation for the Irish manager's job? Ah, look, I, I understand where that conversation has gone and, and why it's gone that way. And look, I'll just keep working and, and uh, whatever may be for me will be. Um, I'm, but is that an ambition of yours? Oh, look, I want to manage at the highest level possible. I've made no secret of that. And that's that's my ambition. But I always say to players, uh, don't be in a rush to get somewhere, learn and, and, and be better. And when, when the right opportunity comes, you're in a much better position and you're ready for it. And right now, uh, my job is to keep improving this group, keep improving myself. And in time, we'll see what will be for me. Do you feel, though, that under Stephen Kenny, the results weren't as, as good as they might have been, that that has had a, an effect on the perception of the League of Ireland as a, as a potential for you know the top job in, in the country? Yeah, look, I think with Stephen, it, it was small margins and people outside of football probably think that's an excuse, but I really think it was small margins in big games and people that don't follow football will definitely, um, if it was another manager from the league, would definitely have a negative opinion on that. And I understand that. Um, and I think a lot of people would understand that, you know, it's, um, but it doesn't go to say that, that uh, we haven't got top managers within the league and top young coaches that are, are learning the trade and will be top managers. So, uh, But I do understand people's opinions and people's views that, 
um, it, it shouldn't be or it can't be another manager from the league right now and I'm okay with that How do you view the league in general I mean before you came in as head coach here look at the way the Tallis Stadium was look at the way the, the standard of the league was the contract situation there's been a lot of improvements Yeah we're definitely going the right way there's no doubt about that I think when I came in here we had an average of just over 1100 and now our average is I'm nearly sure 6,500 um, and we're hoping to build on that again and, and then you look around the league and, and crowds are up throughout the league and it's brilliant to see I think the league is stronger uh, as a whole I think there's really really good players in the league uh, spread throughout the league um, we all know what we want uh, from government we all know what we need to take the league to the next level and uh, I think the Ailey got passed yesterday which is a positive for the league Sligo working hard on their stadium hopefully Finn Harps get theirs and, and as many stadiums we can get up to the level as possible can only be good for the league so uh, we're definitely going the right way but we, we definitely need help from, from outside From a personal point of view Stephen like, it's well known that your, your son Josh has had many challenges in the last number of years would that be one of the reasons that you, you decided to stay in the country? Yeah look it's definitely part of thinking uh, Josh and my family are, are the number one and always will be so Josh's treatment is going really really well at the moment hopefully he's finished his treatment at the end of the year and, and then it's time to sit down and have a look at things but that has definitely played a part in, in the thinking it hasn't been the overriding factor but it's definitely played a part in, and like I said if we get to the end of the year and Josh has to go through more treatment yeah, so we, you know, we'll, we'll face that when it comes But he's played his own part in the in the club's success as well I think it's almost been a bit, an extra motivation for the lads at times hasn't it? Yeah the players were incredible when it happened I spoke about it they really were because I was a bit afraid to give them all of the information because it's it's heavy baggage to carry around and, and, and the players have been incredible. They uh, like you said, they came together and they, they made things happen for Josh as well and, and they've really made him feel part of, of the club and the group and, and the celebrations and I think that shows what an incredible group of people that we have here. And I believe you uh, were able to take a trip with him at Christmas? Yeah, we were lucky um, last year we couldn't go because he was really sick and, and uh, he was in the treatment but thankfully this year the hospital allowed us to go away. And uh, it was amazing just to see him and, and his brother and sister just being kids. And, and to anyone outside looking at Josh would never have said that he was sick. And, and, um, and that was an incredible feeling to see him just being a nine-year-old kid and, and having fun and having fun. And uh, it really makes you uh, check yourself and understand that that's what's really important in life. Well, we started again uh, on Friday. Uh, you're home to, to Dundalk. We'll present a, a difficult challenge, no doubt. With the new stand and everything, it really feels like a, turning over a, a new leaf, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's brilliant. I had to check myself a few times on Friday, looking to my left and seeing the stand. It was, it was amazing to look down and see it. And, uh, when I started as a player against Sligo, uh, you think back to that night and where we are now as a club, it's brilliant. But we, like you said earlier, we have to remember that we have no divine right to win any game, any league, any cup. And Dundalk are going to be a tough team, everyone's talking about uh, the squad and the changes, I know Stephen and Patrick really well, I lived with them They're two really good football people that know the game and they love having their backs against the walls and, and proving people wrong so I've no doubt Dundalk are going to be a, a really really tough team on Friday night Stephen Bradley there speaking to Tony O'Donoghue a little bit earlier on